Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How you doing? I am super excited about today's episode. Um, This is a uh, welcome back to my dear friend, Rian Lockard. And you may recall that a couple of years ago, Rian came on the podcast to talk about uncovering emotional abuse. And between that podcast episode and the video that she and I recorded, she came as a guest expert into my program, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And if if this resonates with you, you need to be in that program. It's super accessible, super affordable. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, this program is life-changing, and this is a big part of it. The exploration about emotional abuse in my program and the the um, interview that we did for that, plus the podcast episode that we did a couple years ago, have been like hugely informative and important pieces of people's growth and recovery who are in my sphere. So, but the next question that we always get, always, 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 is, oh my god, I'm looking at all of this and I'm and I'm and I'm realizing all of these things, and oh my god, am I the abuser? And you know, Rian and I both have addressed that question so many times um, in our work um, because it's always the next question. And so we decided to, uh, I decided to have her back on to answer that question. So that's really what this episode is about. Um, this is about, you know, the next, the next iter- phase in the iteration of emotional abuse, which is wondering if you're the abuser. Um, <clears throat> spoiler, you're not. And, uh, and as always, when Rian and I get uh, together to talk about these things, we can go on forever. I feel like she and I should just do an entire um, program together. Um, who knows? Maybe that'll happen because <laughs> I adore her and I love working with her. Um, and she's so smart about this stuff, you guys. So smart. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Rian Lockard. Welcome back, Rian. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to have you back. I mean, I feel like we could just do a podcast together all the time on this. <laughs> I feel like that as well, honestly, especially because you and I vibe. We're on the same page all the time. We're like, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you actually really helped me name what it was that I had gone through in my marriage and stuff. I mean, it was, you, you have been the voice for so many. And for those who don't know, Rian's also the expert on emotional abuse in my program. Should I stay or should I go? Which most people when they get to that point in the program are like, fuck. Fuck is definitely the reaction I frequently am met with. (laughs) to work. But at least I'm like, oh, I know. Trust me. I get it. <laughs> totally. Right. 
But, and so the next question that often comes up, and that's why we're sort of doing this part two, because the next question that often comes up for people is, wait a minute, am I the abuser? Am I one? And, you know, you, because of that, you did a YouTube video years ago on like on that exact thing, which we can link into in the show notes if you want. Yeah. I know you're revising all your content, but I am revising all my content. But yeah, that that video got more views than all the rest of them, which is interesting to me. It was I the, posted the, all the time. <laughs> I mean, not to take full credit. Obviously, it's not just no, me. It's definitely you because I'm not even I'm not even profiling my own stuff at this point because I keep wanting to revamp it, which I am doing. But because it with my clients, even it's like, okay, let's talk about is this relationship healthy or not, and then we get past that hurdle, and then. My clients are often like, well, am I the one making it abusive then? Because there's two reasons for that question to come up. One, they're feeling like there's this persistent thought that goes like, if it's my fault, then I can fix it, right? So frequently these people in this in this dynamic are fixers. They want to save the relationship. They want to fix it. And they know if it's their fault, then they can do something about it, right? And that's both admirable and unfortunate because... The answer's in the question. If you are asking the question, am I the abuser? You are not the abuser. And and we'll we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, over the course of this. And the second reason that this comes up a lot is because people in toxic relationship dynamics are often being told that it's their fault and that they are the ones creating all the problems. And so, of course, they go to, well, if it's my fault, maybe I'm the abusive one. Or they might have even been told, you're abusing me in some outlandish twist of reality. And because they've been so beaten down, they don't know with certainty that that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so they're seeking something outside of themselves to help them identify, like, am I the one that's being abusive here? So that's kind of, I think, where it all comes from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so, and that's so, I think you've said a couple things in there that are so important to highlight, right? First is you're being told that it's your fault. That's part of the gaslighting. Part of the gaslighting is, well, if you would just, then I wouldn't have to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. And that's bullshit. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) For one thing, let me just clarify. Oh yeah. And then I think, I think what you said is so true, man, right? It's like, we're fixers. For those of us who are in toxic relationships, we tend to be not to sort of pigeonhole it, but we tend to be codependent. <laughs> and oh, absolutely. and one of the one of the traits of that is that we're pretty sure we can fix everything and we can control everything, we can manage it. If we would just sort of find the magic formula, then everything yep. part of this is preconditioning that we have like instilled in us from the culture a little bit too, where it's like there's this like trope of like it's almost like the tough guy with the heart of gold. And it's like, if we can just be perfect enough or magical enough or beautiful enough or loving enough, then we will bring out the best of this person and we will be the one that he's kind to or that he loves or, or whatever. We have Sometimes in these dynamics, the, the person being abused is someone who is is wanting to save someone else or wanting to help someone else or wanting to fix someone else. And this comes from a noble place, but it sets us up almost for failure because we're engaging with someone who demonstrates toxic qualities to us. But there's a part of us that is unhealed from our own past, whether it's previous toxic relationships, our own upbringing, like maybe a dynamic with our parents or whatever it might be. But there's an unhealed part of us that's like, this will be the time that I will find out that I've, I'm worthy of yes. dot, dot, dot. 
And I if I can be the one that makes this person loving and kind and gentle, then I'm a valid person. And we're seeking our worth in somebody else. And that is not our fault, but it is our responsibility to identify if that's kind of part of what is happening within us in these relationships, because that's a very real thing. And when I say the culture has conditioned us, it's like, look at any romantic comedy where it's all kinds of really toxic behaviors. Like, some girl says, I don't want to be with you. And then some man stands outside her window with the radio held above his head. And he's stalking her. Right. And my ex-husband actually. And that's he, like the most romantic thing in the world. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like removing her boundaries or steamrolling her boundaries. And so it's a sign of romance, but it's actually really unhealthy. Right. And my ex-husband had this really funny thing that he would say where he would go, let's do a test where we can find out if this, if this movie's toxic or not. And he goes, imagine if the main character was unattractive, would you be into what he was doing? Or is that like a stalker movie now? You know what I mean? And it's, oh, interesting. It's yeah. Just has to go. If I wasn't attracted to this person, how would I interpret their behavior? Because it it really is a light bulb moment, and it's like, oh man, that's very eye opening for me, you know. So totally, that's really great. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to go back to this what you were saying before about that, like we're the one, right? I always call it like the nugget of gold in the pile of shit, yes. right? And you know that if you can just get through all the shit. There's this nugget yeah. of gold in there, right? right? Yeah. And there's this idea that we're the one, right? Yeah. That we, first of all, we want to be the one. Yeah. But also, very often in these relationships, we've been told that we're the one. One of, oh, yeah. one of the lures and one of the things that pulls us in is that we're told that we're the one who, you know, cracked the code yeah. that I, I was a total player until I met you, you yeah. know, I cheated on everybody, but not you because, you know, yeah. you're special and we buy into that narrative yeah. and then we think, right. So we bought, we bought into that narrative. We think we're the one, we see the nugget of gold. We're the ones who are shown the nugget of gold in the beginning. Right. And then yeah. all the shit piles onto it and we spend the next five years yeah three years literally get back to yes. that nugget and the thing of it is it's, it's a setup from the start from the start it's a setup from the start and this if I could like implant one thing of knowledge into people who are in these abusive relationships it's that the person that you're with is not the same as you and what I mean by that is Someone with like a pure heart or who wants love gets into a relationship seeking to have love. And so they are doing everything out of love and from a loving place and with loving intentions. A person who is fundamentally abusive is not seeking love from their relationships. They are seeking control. Yes. They don't, we do not want the same things. And so this is why my clients have such a difficult time because when they're trying to analyze behavior from their partner, they are perplexed and confused because they're saying, if he loves me, why is this happening? And then I say, well, let's look at it. If he wants to control me, does his behavior make sense instead? Because they're not coming from wanting love. They don't want that loving connection. They don't want that romantic partnership. They don't fundamentally, and I, this is so hard to hear and yep. so hard to take in and so hard to know. It might feel like I'm punching you in your chest. If you look at your partner's behavior through a filter of, they just want to control your reality. 
they want your world to be about them and what they want. It's control, not love. Well, then suddenly a lot of things start to make a lot more sense. But see, we we have such good hearts that we're trying to filter everything through love. We're trying to bring everything back to love. We're trying to heal with love. If we throw more love at it, if we if we throw all of our pain at it, which is the other side of love, Maybe it will fix it, but it, it's an unsolvable He'll finally problem. see. He'll finally see. Yes. And that's the thing too. It's like, he'll finally see how much he's hurting me. And he yes. doesn't want to hurt me because if he loves me, why would he want to hurt me? Exactly. But if right? he wants And so to if I could just you, let him, if he could just see how much he's hurting me, then he'll stop. Right. And then if we change that same script and we go, if he is trying to control me, He doesn't necessarily care if it hurts me because he wants me to toe the line. He wants me to do what he wants me to do or what he doesn't want me to do, right? He wants me to be the way that he wants me to be. And then suddenly it starts to make a lot of sense. And that's the thing. It's, but it's so hard to swallow that it's not about love. And I'm not talking in binaries. Like I'm sure that there is some love there. It doesn't have to be black and white, but fundamentally when we get down to the priority assessment, the other person's priority is more about control than it is about love. Whereas your priority is more about love than about control. You're willing to be controlled in exchange for love. And that's the, that's the deal you're making with yourself all the time. I'll do what he wants because this is what he wants in order to have love. And that's not necessarily though his outcome or what he's trying to have, if that makes sense. No, it makes so much sense. And it's really, it's kind of making me nauseous. It's a highly nauseating realization. Yeah. I mean, like, to be honest, right? Like, you know, I hear this and as much as I know it and as many conversations as we've had about it and as much work as I've done around this, like you hear it and you're like, I did. I made that bargain. I made that bargain. Yep. That I, I was willing to, I made that, I made that trade. I did. And this is also how we know it's a setup, right? Because everyone's story is very similar where it's like right in the beginning, I was the special princess. I was the only one. I was everything. I was flooded with love. I was flooded with all this like kindness. I was flooded with affection. He showed me his true self. And we feel like they're showing us their true self. And maybe they are, who knows? They're showing you something on purpose though. And then they are intentionally revoking it from you. And then they're saying to you, you can have that back if you just behave right. And that's how we know it's about control and not about love. Because if it was about love, they would want to show you their true self all the time. They would want that connection. But see, they're saying, you need to now earn back what I so freely gave you in the beginning. And you need to earn it back by doing what I say or trying to hit this moving target that is actually fundamentally unattainable. So... So, okay. So let's talk about the non-binary, like black, non-black and white. Cause I, cause like, I think that this is, e- this is easy to see, right. Easy to see in these, in the black and white. And I hear myself and all sorts of other women in my head saying like, yeah, but what about in my experience, not naming names, but they actually do very often in my, what I've understood and what I've learned is that narcissists, Mm-hmm. right? They actually do want love, right? They, they actually do. Their way of going about it is this control and manipulation, right? And can be abusive, right? right. But like at the end of the day, I know that the narcissistic relationships that I have been in, like they really did want love. They actually mm-hmm. really genuinely did no clue how to go about it. Right. And we're toxic and manipulative 
and abusive in the process. Right. Yeah. The fatal trait of a narcissist is that they want love, but they refuse to do the self-work. And the only way they can ever have love is through self-work. And the reason this is a fatal trait is because their own mental illness, their own narcissism prevents them from believing that they have anything to work on. So right, they are in a toxic relationship with themselves, to be very honest with you. And yeah. it just leads into everything because they want love, but they can't be the reason that they don't have love because their own filter right. prevents them from seeing that they are the common denominator in all their problems. So right. they throw it out there on everybody else and they try to get the world to adjust so they can have what they want. But as we know, that's not how that works, right? Right. Um, right. The only way you can get any love is to, first of all, be willing to see yourself as lovable and to be willing to receive love in any capacity and to do self-work required to get over whatever hurdles are preventing you from allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to be open to other people, to be soft and gentle and kind, to have flaws. See, all of these things are required to actually have love. But when you are a narcissist, you can't acknowledge that you have any problems within yourself because that's the nature of the situation. And so this is why a lot of people feel like it's a lost cause because in order for them to be able to do the self-work, they have to acknowledge that there might be something innately defective or needing work or, you know, non-judgmental words that indicate Uh that (laughs) they see. Right. Well, we all have that, right? We, Right. Right. And this is, and this is, I think comes down to the fundamental question that we're talking about here. Am I the abuser? Yeah. Because like you said, the, the answer is in the question because yep. an abuser never asks that question because that would be one of those sort of self-reflective quote negative things about themselves that they would have to work on. So if right. you're, if you're asking that question, it's not you. Exactly. And see so many people hear me say that as an answer and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, that is the real answer. It's the truth, right? It's like, yeah, yeah that's no, it. Please actually listen to this though, because if you care, if you're the abuser, you are not the abuser. Now here's the other part of this. This does not mean that you don't have toxic qualities yourself. Uh-huh. This doesn't mean that you are, that, that you're a perfect angel in the situation and that you haven't done anything yada yada, because a lot of times people who are very abused, they can list off to me all the stuff they've done, infidelity or absolute freakouts or, you know, going through someone's phone or what, whatever, uh-huh. toxic, like starting arguments on purpose. Like there's all kinds of stuff that they will do and they will say, but these are all really negative things that I'm doing. So I'm definitely the abuser. And I want to say, Actually, you're not the abuser. You can have toxic traits. You can be behaving unlike yourself. You can be acting in a way that you're not even on board with, with yourself without being an abuser. And because it's all coming from where are you coming from? What is your intention, right? So yes, can you have some self-awareness around the fact that you're not acting right and you don't even like the person that you're being, but that's all your own body and your own soul kind of saying to you, please help. Like we are not acting right. Think about an animal that's kind of backed into a corner. An animal backed into a corner is going to lash out and not even act like itself because it's scared. It has no other options. And it's just like freaking out. This is what happens to us when we're being abused. We get backed into a corner because my working definition of abuse is somebody who just steamrolls your boundaries. 
Um, you establish a boundary, they just steamroll it time after time. So fundamentally, you're left feeling unsafe and unworthy and not okay. When you are in a place of being destabilized or deregulated constantly, you don't feel safe. So you lash out and you act out of character within yourself because you're doing it just to try to do anything to get back to a sense of security. You don't have to act perfectly to not be the abusive one. I don't know if, if I'm making sense, yes, but no, you're making absolute yeah. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that analogy. I love the analogy of the, of the animal, like, a, like an animal backed into a corner because it's mm-hmm. true. Like we don't, people say to me all the time, like, I know, but I was the one who cheated. Right. And my yep. response is always like, well, why did you cheat? Right. What happened that led to that? Because affairs don't occur in vacuum. So what happened? Well, we hadn't had sex in five years. He was, he was ignoring me. I was neglected. I, you know, I'm like, okay, so you were backed. So, so you may have, you may have had an affair, but like, let's, let's look at all of the, you know, let's look at this holistically. Let's not look at each action specifically and alone because they don't occur. Exactly. And a lot of affairs are so common, by the way, in like narcissistic relationships on the part of the victim, the the person being abused frequently steps out on their marriage. And a lot of this happens also because number one, they've been so deprived of actual love and kindness for so long that the second someone shows it to them, their heart just melts and it's almost impossible for them to not engage in reality, whether it's emotional or physical or what. But so the very fact that that happens is a sign that something's amiss, like, like what you're saying, like you've not been treated okay. But secondarily, a lot of us have a hard line with cheating. And we know if there's infidelity, our relationship's over. When we're in an abusive relationship, our mind can't come up with logical reasons to let us out of it because we're constantly being gaslighted, made to feel crazy, told like we're wrong about how we feel. So we're like, oh, I guess I can't leave though because I'm not 100% sure that I'm right here. So we cheat because we know if we're cheating, that's the end. It gives us an out. It's a very, it's an unconscious sabotage. Really? It's a sabotage because it's, it's, it's finally like some part of us just is like snaps and is like, well, I know that you're going to know this is over if you do this. Cause it's so out of character for you. It's so like clearly a relationship ender, but somehow it doesn't always even end the relationship. It just, it just deepens the whole mess of it all, but we're doing it because we're so needing a way out. And we have so forgotten how to trust ourselves and believe ourselves and act on our own behalf that we start to do crazy things that we would never do like cheating. And if, if cheating or any of these behaviors are very much outside of how you normally would act, ask yourself, like, why would I behave like this? Am I an animal backed into a corner, just doing anything it can to try to like save myself from, from a potential threat? Cause usually if we're honest with ourselves, that's the real answer. So true. It's so true. Yeah. This is why I come to you for all of this because you're the <laughs> where you know you're not the abusive one because you care that you're cheating. You don't want to act this way. You care that you're having a fight with someone when you not normally wanted to have a nice evening. You care that like you're never feeling okay, and you know, you, you care that you're acting out of character. Uh-huh. And someone uh-huh. who's abusive doesn't doesn't care about how they're acting because they just want the other person to act how they want them to act, and they just want to get away with it. Right. That's the, that's, that's the thing. It's like, there's that thing where, you know, you also get, um, and I've certainly experienced this where you have the person who is really sorry 
and they are so contrite. And what I always say is they admit to the first 5% so they can yep. continue to get away with the, with the, the other 95%, right? Oh, so they'll, they'll like, oh my God, you're so right. They'll apologize till the day is long, yep. but they will not make amends. They will not change yes. behavior. And, yeah. and the apology is only a cover. It's, it's a distraction, right? It's like oh, yeah. look over here. So you're not noticing yeah. all of this over here. It's so classic. And then it's just like, they say, well, I'm doing this. I'm apologizing. I'm taking ownership of it. You want to believe it. So you do believe it. But right. my thing is always like, what happens if like we hit the mute button on your partner and you just observe their behaviors? See, this is the second thing that's so hard for people, but it's like, once you can do this, it's like light bulbs just like are on. I always say like, can you look at what reality is? Like what's reality? Not what could be. I don't want you to be in a relationship with someone's potential. I don't want you to be in a relationship with someone from the past, the right. same person from the past. I don't want you to be with like, if you're with Greg now, I don't want you to be with Greg from 2015. Who is Greg in 2020? Right? How does Greg show up? Not Greg. If Greg went to therapy, I'm not talking about any of the other versions of Greg. Who is Greg right now? Yes. And if Greg was to stay the way he is right now permanently, because let's be very honest, that's the majority of people don't really change much from who they are showing up as in this moment. That's generally what happens, right? Yep. If Greg stayed exactly as he is right now, is that the relationship that you want to have? Is that a safe relationship? Is that a secure relationship? Is that a loving relationship? Do you feel loved? Do you feel like someone's treating you gently? Do you feel like there's kindness? Do you feel support? Do you feel safe to speak your feelings? Like all this stuff, if Greg stays how Greg is in this moment, because see, when I can get my clients to stop interacting with alternate realities and to look at the reality they're in, it's a painful light bulb, but it is an illuminating light bulb because if we're looking at someone's actions and not their promises or their potential or their, you know, what ifs or maybes, or I'm sorry, the, the topic of conversation starts to really shift a little bit. Yeah, it really, it really does. It's, it becomes, it becomes so clarifying and that, and that's, and then, right. And this is the other thing that I see is that there's so much energy put on interacting with this alternate reality Um, that when you start interacting with this reality, actual reality, you actually have to interact with yourself. Yeah. Right. Because a large portion of it. Yeah. It's it's such a huge portion of it because there's so much focus on them trying to get them to change and trying to get them to love me and trying to get them. And if you stop wasting all of that fucking energy, you actually have some left for your own personal growth. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're also having to look at current reality you who is not necessarily living her best life in that moment, not necessarily being who she wants to be, but see, she's become so accustomed to feeling bad about herself and striving for what she wants, but not having it, that she doesn't necessarily know how to be in peace with herself or to rebuild or to, to deal with what's actually going on. Yeah. So it's partially a coping strategy to not exist in current reality, but it's ultimately a coping strategy that tends to be more harmful overall than, than otherwise. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. Today's sponsor is 
Soberlink. Now, the Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. And for limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at Soberlink.com and mentioning the Divorce Survival Guide. And now back to our show. You said something when you were talking about how they apologize to us. They do. They give us a little bit. They have enough self-awareness to give us a little bit of honesty or to listen to what's hurting us and to, to feed it back to us. And then to just kind of continue to do what we, they want to do. And the reason I brought up like, what is their behavior is the way you can decide, like, are they abusive or are they just kind of someone who needs help is do they actively try to work on it? Like, uh-huh. are they going to therapy? Are they reading self-help books? Are they listening to like TED Talks or whatever? Are they hearing what you're saying, having conversations, taking notes? Like, are they changing anything about their behavior? Or are they just, it's just lip service constantly. You're hearing the same sort of things, but nothing's changing. And that's why I say, look to their actions. Is yep. anything different? Right. Um, the other thing too, is that they, they like to point out our toxic traits. And this is why we start to think that we're abusive. Oh God. Yes. They love to tell us what we're doing to them, how we've misstepped or misbehaved or done wrong. And there's a lot of like judgment and shame and like down talking to us. And this is the ways in which we're toxic. And the thing of that is, is that they're not lying with that either necessarily, because we might've started a fight with them in front of our friends, or we might have like said something inappropriate to someone else or whatever. And, and so we're like, Oh God, they're right. It is terrible, but they, they expand it and make it 300 times bigger than it actually really reasonably should be allowed to be. And they're also not acknowledging whatever they did to cause that reaction within us. So there's, there's a lot of them pointing out our behavior and not taking any responsibility for their side of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I see this, they're, they're like, people I want to like send this podcast to specifically that I can't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent. And I've lived that. Oh my God. Have I lived that yeah. being told that like this or that is my fault and me thinking like, well, oh, that's that. Okay. That's, that's true. But like, I remember <laughs> in one particular relationship sort of being told that I was so constantly, here's one constantly being criticized for like, the tone of my voice or the way I was speaking. Oh yeah. Right. And that I was whatever, whatever shit there is in that. And then, so then I was always self-aware and and self-conscious and like trying to make my voice different so that I could not be bad in that way or whatever. And then being completely shredded for being inauthentic and, stilted and weird. And it's like, yes, I was. 
Yes, I was completely inauthentic and weird. If it's a healthy relationship, everyone's going to try to take responsibility for their part of the conflict. And if it is not healthy, there's a lot of blame going around, specifically usually from one person onto the other. But the other thing I want to point out is that like, we start to behave in alignment with how our relationship is set up. So if we're used to constantly being told, this is all your fault, this is like, and it's a big explosive argument situation all the time, we start to become someone who projects things onto others and causes big explosive arguments all the time as well, because that is what we get used to as this is what this relationship is like, even if that's not the kind of relationship that we want. I don't know if that is Say more about that. Is it habitual or is it, or are we conflating like a, like a talk, like a trauma bond? Are we conflating that with love? So yeah, we're conflating it. With, so here's what happens. We meet this perfect, beautiful person. They love, they, they shatter us with love. They overflow us, love, love, bomb us, whatever phrase we want to use. We're like, this is the person. So now I'm going to do anything I need to do to be with this person and keep them. And then they set up a toxic dynamic with us where it starts to get volatile and it starts to get a little intense, but we're like, I guess this is just what it's like to be in a relationship with this person. See, whenever two people come together, a we becomes created, right? And that we has innate qualities. When you're in that, when you're in a unhealthy relationship, that we is unhealthy. And so they establish, well, this is how communication goes. This is how arguments go. This is how interaction goes. And suddenly we're finding like, oh, the we here feels unsafe, feels unstable. It feels like a lot of drama, but I guess that's the price I have to pay to have this beautiful, loving, amazing person that I think I want. And so we accept this new reality, this new relationship that's just full of all this stuff we don't actually think we want. And we start to live from that place because we're like, this is what a relationship with this guy is like. So I guess that's what I'm going to do now. And then we even start to act in a way that's not in alignment with who we are. But we're like, I want this so much that I'm just going to be in this relationship in this way that he has it set up. Yes. And, and it is that, like you said, that we, you know, we talk, we in relationship coaching, the, the training that I did anyway, we talk about that as the third entity, right? There's yeah. you, there's me, and then there's the relationship and the relationship yeah. sometimes has very little to do. If you're in a relationship that you're like, I've literally never, no one has ever accused me of this kind of stuff. No one has yeah. ever told me I do this. I've never behaved this way. Like I hate myself in this relationship. This yeah. is I am. That's, that's a sign that it's the relationship. It's not you. Exactly. It's it's the combination, right. Of the The dynamic. Yeah. And a good litmus test too, is that you do your self work. If you hear feedback, like you're crazy, you're this, you're that pin it down, get real specific. What is the trait that you don't like that I'm perpetuating? So for you, it was like your tone of voice. Okay. You gave a complete, perfect, beautiful example of this. So you changed it. So for any of your clients or, or whatever it might be who are like, well, maybe it is me. Okay, go ahead. Pick one thing and solve that problem and see how that goes. If that problem <laughs> gets solved and your partner is like, thank you so much. I feel so much better. And things start to move in a positive direction. There's so much hope there, right? right. If you solve that problem and there is another problem right next to it, or your solution wasn't good enough, or X, Y, Z, it's still a huge explosive situation, then it's not the problem that's the problem. It's right. the relationship that's the problem. It's the interaction between you two that's the problem. It's a it's an unhealthy situation that you're in. Right. Now, the crux of the pro- the crux of the issue here. Yes. How do you get out? 
how do you get out is a whole a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just schedule the third interview? Should we schedule right? <laughs> I can distill it down for you. And but just because it might sound easy, I want to be really clear. I am very aware that what I'm saying is not easy to do, but I do have some steps for you. Number one, you have to be willing to interact with reality. The hardest thing here is to actually interact with reality. Who am I really with? How do they behave? What are they like when I'm not imagining their potential or their past self? When I am in reality, what is this relationship like? If you can accept reality, you're miles above everybody else. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Look at reality, yep. live in reality, only interact with reality in the present current moment. If you can do that, then you get to say to yourself, is this a relationship that I want? Not what is the potential a relationship that I want? Is the past a relationship that I want? Is this the relationship that I want? Okay. If your answer is a no, then you can start to make steps to, to move away. And that's going to differ depending on each person's situation because each person's being controlled in a different way and they have to, to safely set up fail safe systems to sever those control ties, but they can't and won't do any of that until they decide they want to. And right. they won't decide they want to, if they're not interacting with their real relationship. And so honestly, the real answer is what is reality? Now, some other tricks to figuring out what reality is, is to say like, if I look at this person as if they want to control me rather than love me, does their behavior make more sense? If yep. I'm if I'm in, not in a relationship with someone who's seeking love above, above all else, then does their behavior make some sense? See, these are all tips and tricks to get you to look at reality because yep. the whole entire purpose of a narcissistic relationship is to have you not be living in reality. Yeah, That's why they're gaslighting you. They're making you feel crazy. They're denying the, the truth of what happens. They're changing up what they say. They're changing up what they want. They're changing up what they do. And they also have removed you from all sources of reason and logic in your life. And they've removed you from all things that you like and enjoy. So you are isolated, living in a non-reality and trying to get your footing. So the way to, to get out of it is to say, what is my actual reality here? And then I would say, reestablish connections with people who you actually trust. Mm. reach out to the people that you have been cut off from and say to them, is this really happening to me? And be willing to hear their feedback. But something has to click inside of you that you actually want to know the truth and you're ready to step out of it. So the other side, besides interacting with reality, is to do a lot of self-work. And what I mean by that is, Self-work on determining that you have worth and you have value and you have love and you are worthy of love and you are worthy of loving yourself. Because see, we've been so deprived of our worth, our value and our love in these situations that we don't even think we're worthy of knowing what reality is. And we don't think we're worthy of getting out. And that's on purpose. That's been done on purpose. But somewhere in you, your soul is whispering to you and it's saying, I think you deserve more than this. And it's that craving for more. It's that craving for love. It's that craving for different. That's your soul whispering to you and kind of begging you to pay attention to it. Now we're so used to trying to get that love from someone else and we know it should be our person. So we hope it's from them. But if you're so craving love and you're not getting it from anyone else, 
go ahead and just start giving it to yourself however you can, because that will help get you closer and closer to being ready to get out if that's what you need to do. So there are a couple things that I want to touch on with everything that you just said, because I think it's all so fucking important. And I think one of the more, one of the, one of the traps that I see people falling into is that they see all this. They, they're like, oh, this is the reality. And then they go to their partner (laughs) and try to explain it to them. Yeah. Right. See see what you're doing. See, I've got it all figured out. This is what's happening. if they they're gonna like cheat yeah <laughs> as if they're gonna be like so oh, no. <laughs> always happens they're like so excited they figured it out that they yeah. want to tell the person and then that person it almost makes it worse though because now they're like uh-oh they're on to me they're on to me uh-huh. yeah and so they they double down it gets more intensified that's a quick way to buy yourself another two years in this relationship is to go run right to them and say i'm i figured you out it's you well, then they're going to like up the ante and they almost enjoy it, honestly, in a way, because it's like a, a new level of the mind game for them. And part of that is often, oh, OK. And reading the books about abusive behaviors and like, yep. oh, I get it. I see it. I do this. You're right. Right. Oh, yeah. Like actually copying to it and like, oh, right. Right. So that yeah. and that's that when they'll go to therapy for show, but they won't actually do the work. They'll sit in the sessions, but they won't take yes. it internally within this them. Is, this is why the National Domestic Abuse Hotline, they say, do not go to therapy with an abuser. Do not right. go because they will m- manipulate and game the system and you will and you will become more and more vulnerable in that moment. Oh, yeah. Right? You'll yeah. become more and more vulnerable in the therapy that they're using in order to further victimize you. Yeah, exactly. So I always tell my clients, go to therapy for yourself first and see if your therapist recommends couples therapy or not, Uh because a good trained therapist is going to understand, oh man, this is a mess. Right. They're going to help you build the skills that you need in order to step out safely rather than allow the whole floodgates to open where you're both sitting with a therapist and he, he can potentially charm the therapist and or find out secrets about you, use them against you later. And then you're more enmeshed in in there deeper because you're in therapy out of love and he's in therapy because he doesn't want to lose this relationship. Doesn't want to lose control. Exactly. He doesn't want to lose the relationship because he doesn't want to lose control. Not that he doesn't want to lose you. Oh no, because he's invested so much time and energy into having you right where he wants you. Right. He doesn't want to have to start all of that over again. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I, I hear it all the time. Like uh, we went to couples therapy and he just used everything against me. If he's doing that, stop going to couples therapy. It's not safe. And yeah. tell the, and tell the therapist. Right. Like I want you to rat him out to the therapist. And I also want you to just be aware of what he's doing. Like mm-hmm. exists in real reality. If you reality. are, if you are opening up and sharing something and it gets thrown in your face later, take that down. Like say to yourself, I am not going to share again. Don't scream at him. Well, I'm never going to tell you anything again. And then you still do say to yourself, I am never going to tell him anything again. And then don't because you are, he is clearly telling you who he is. See, this is the thing. So many of us in these relationships just have these hearts of gold. We see the best in people because we are these gentle, sweet people. So we assume everybody's like that. 
benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt, we think to ourselves, like, if I tell you you're hurting me, you'll stop hurting me. And then that's not how everybody is. Right. So I want you to say, yes. if this person keeps showing you who they are, at what point do you believe them? Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to, to have a lot of people really see and understand. It's not your job to change somebody else. And if, if they are really your person, if they are really meant to be with you, if they are really it, when you set boundaries, when you say, I can't take this anymore, I'm leaving, they will do the self-work required to get you back. And they right. will be an actually different person, not Genuinely. just a different person. Right, exactly. I talk about this all the time. My, my people know when you say you're leaving and then they're like, wait, 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 now I'll go to therapy. Now I'll go to therapy. Watch for the actions. Don't listen yeah. to the words. Watch what they actually do. If they say they're going to change, have they changed? Yeah. Like they actually changed. So I need to call you out slash in. Because in all, as you you said something about like your spirit listening to you, because oh, yeah. you have a whole other side of yourself <laughs> and your work. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> but you know, I am all about you. Like I am the biggest like champion of you, sort of blending these two parts. Blending them. Yeah. So the other part of you is your mystical witch side. Yeah, yeah. So I'm also a professional psychic intuitive medium and a professional witch, which is a funny sentence. Um, <laughs> and I'm an, I'm an ordained interfaith minister as well. So I offer spiritual counseling legally through the state of Pennsylvania, as well as multi-certified life coach. But I'm a professional witch. I've been like mentored by several different witches and I am a, a psychic intuitive. So I tend to do a lot of channeling or, or reading of energy with my clients where it's just kind of, it's sort of very helpful, actually, where I'll just sort of know something about a person or about their partner. I just receive a lot of energetic information about the situation. So I can start from that point where I go, oh, but he's this kind of person or he does this kind of thing. And they're like, yes, right, exactly. And that's just sort of a nice little bonus, I guess, to what I'm... Well, it is, but also like when you're talking about like listening to your soul, like, by the way, just for full disclosure, like, I've taken your courses. I have like done spells for, well, not spells, whatever, like things. Done magical stuff for you. Yeah. Magical yeah. stuff for me. And anyone who knows me knows that like, I'm like all about like this coaching. I'm, I'm like probably like the least woo coach. Right. Right. You know, right. like the way that we talk, like whatever. But I have this little, I do have this part of me that's like, oh, uh-huh, that you have certainly helped draw out and right. And so when you talk about, when you talk about when us listening to our soul, right. Yeah. And hearing, you know, one of the things that you've helped me with is really actually hearing and getting in touch with my guides and, and really hearing, I mean, some clear ass shit. Yep. That's always happening, but like, we're not listening. And so we don't notice. Right. But when you start to notice, it's like, fuck, okay. you Everywhere. Right. Exactly. So how can we, how can women utilize that aspect of themselves? Okay. That's a beautiful question. Right. Like, Um, because, because we do, I think that, I think it's important because as women, we are so powerful and 
we are intuitive by nature. And yeah. that is that is a top and key thing that the patriarchy has really worked oh, yeah. so hard from the you know the beginning to squash yeah. us from paganism to Salem witch trials, all of that, right? Like everything, oh, yeah. the whole system I think, is based upon eradicating our intuition and our intuitive natures. And I think that so much of our way out of this and smashing the patriarchy is taking that back. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Preach it girl. <laughs> so as we went to the room, how do we do that? <laughs> okay. I am so excited. I think that we're in an abusive relationship with our culture. To be honest, women are in a toxic relationship with the culture in which we've been brought up because we have been taught that emotions, intuition, our innate sense of knowing is somehow crazy or wrong or dramatic or too much, or there's no place for it, et cetera, et cetera. And doesn't all that sound so super familiar to this topic that we're having today, right? So it's like, it's, it's been, it's just been poured all over us from birth. And so no wonder we end up in these situations that just reinforce the way that we feel about ourselves as if we're not worthy or we're somehow crazy, too much, wrong, whatever it might be. So yes, this is definitely a real thing. And yes, we have definitely been trying to be put in the kept in a little box. And my question's always been like, well, why do they want to stifle it so much? Must be uh-huh. super important, right? Super so mm-hmm. yeah, because we have so much power. Hello. So, the best thing you can do is to start working with your intuition to find where in your body does your intuition live. Um, some people it's like in their third eye for some people, for me, it's in my chest for some people it's in their stomach. I've had one client, it was in her shoulder. I don't know where your intuition lives, but in order to discover where your intuition lives, you can ask yourself like at times in my life when I've just had a knowing about something, like I knew someone wasn't a good person or I knew something was going to happen or I just had this sense of like knowing where in my body did I feel that, right? And the reason I want you to know what this is is because I want you to start to actively engage with that place in your body when you're making decisions. So if you have a question or something that you're trying to work on or determine or whatever, I want you to ask your intuition center what's happening with that thing and to feel the answer rather than think the answer or try to logic the answer or try to like reason the answer with your brain. I always tell my clients, welcome to this class. You are no longer allowed to think, right? Like (laughs) your brain is not invited to this class. Your brain's not taking the class. Your intuition's taking the class, right? Because I want people to get in the habit of listening to their innate knowing, the innate feelings they have that are guiding them through everything, because that is so much information. And we have been taught to ignore it, not even to ignore it, but to make it wrong. We've been literally taught to just actively be like, oh, if I feel that, I must do the opposite, which is crazy. Right. One of my clients who was in a very toxic and abusive relationship, her whole thing was if she felt it in her intuition, she was going to do the opposite. See, that's how abused she had become, where it was like, well, I feel that I should leave, so I'm going to stay. Because she so much didn't trust herself that she would do the opposite of it. That's super unfortunate and sad because that was her soul screaming at her. And it was so loud that she was aware of it, but she was so 
disempowered and disenfranchised that she couldn't listen to it, that she acknowledged she heard it and then used it to do the opposite. And obviously that did not go well for her over time, but she did end up out of the relationship eventually. So there is still hope. But, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. But so but many of say, us do that, I think. I think so many of us do that. Oh my God. Yes. And the second thing I'd offer as advice is let's just like accept for a moment the premise that maybe we do have spirit guides or guardian angels. If we could just wander into a world where we accept that premise, then the thing I want you to do is assume that they want to help you, but they want to help you if you ask them for help. So the second thing you can do is say, help me, angels, help me see this clearly. Yes. Help me, help me find a way out. Help me understand myself so I can know what to do next. I need your support. I need your guidance. And if you don't want to talk to angels or your guides, you can talk to your higher self. You can talk to God, whatever word works for you. But the mere act of asking for help from a divine power or presence is so powerful that it will be received and you will receive support. Like you were saying, like once you start to notice that you are getting communication and there's signs around you, you can't help but see them all the time. Yeah. But it's until you open your eyes that you don't, you don't actually see that they're everywhere. So I would say asking for help and just being willing to believe yourself that what you're receiving is true. That's a huge step on that journey as well. I, I love it. I, we, again, we, we could talk about this like all fucking day and you know, you've definitely helped me. I, I had a life changing experience in working with you on this stuff and, and the clarity in my work with my clients and in my programs, I do inner guide work. Right. But, and it's a very mm-hmm. specific thing, but there are people who can't connect in that way, right. With the visual right. or whatever. And I sort of, and I give them this, like there are other ways in right? There's other ways in. I've worked with clients that are really religious. And so prayer and God, their connection to God, that's it, right? Like whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't have to look like one thing or another, right? Whatever word works for you. Yeah. You just have to listen. Yeah. All I say is there's, all you need is willingness. And I had a, I had a student once that said, well, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be willing. And I was like, I'll take it. That's good enough. A little bit of willingness just to just be willing to be willing to have it come to you and to have support and to have, because the thing that's funny about that is that all of us secretly want that to be true, right? We secretly want there to be angels and guides around us and we want there to be a spiritual Uh component to reality and we want it because it is, it is true. That desire comes from the knowledge that we have that it's all around us, but we haven't yet learned how to give ourselves permission to believe in ourselves enough to think that we can connect in that way. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Rian, I, I adore you. I could talk to you all day. Feeling is mutual. <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on and having this conversation. Seriously. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is such valuable work that you're doing. You're changing lives. You're helping everybody. I mean, I, I am as big a fan of your work as you are of mine. You have helped me <laughs> so much over the years. Just by reading your newsletters alone has helped me, but I've definitely had phone consultations with you and all kinds of things. I'm in a much better place in part because of the work that you're doing. And I'm just very grateful that you just continue to show up like you do for everybody because this is super important and it, it's absolutely needed. And you've made me feel empowered to, to get my foot back in it and to, to really be here to try to, to do my part too and supporting people and getting out of these abusive situations. 
because it's so needed and it's and it's just really important. So thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Honey, thank you. Yeah, I will I will always champion slash push you to get your voice out more. <laughs> in, a gentle, in a gentle, loving way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So where can people find you? Where can they find oh, you? Okay, I do have a website for coaching. It's reinlocker.com. It's R-H-I-A-N-L-O-C-K-A-R-D. I have links for you. And I did start my own little podcast about toxic and abusive relationships. I have one episode recorded so far. (laughs) Thank you. It is called What is Love? You can find it on Anchor. It's on Spotify. It's been picked up by a few other platforms, but I'll send you the link too because the little name I had to give it for the slash is different than What is Love. So I will figure out what exactly I called it. I think I called it something like Love doesn't have to hurt or something like that, but I'll let you know. More the details. links will be in the show notes. Yeah, everything will be in the show notes. Yeah, but that's yeah. I can be found on reallocker.com. But if anyone wants me for witchy purposes, they can find me at moonstonewitchery.com as well. Yes, and your moonstone witchery Instagram is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm I'm a huge fan of I want you to like I want to find ways for for you to blend it all together because I also just integrate and connect. Well, it's all so connected. I mean, it and which is. We're do, I mean, I will do some banishing spells for some toxic people in my witch work. You know, it does blend. It's just I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the cohesive blend is. <laughs> All right, my love. I adore you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I adore you as well. I hope you have a beautiful day. Mwah. Mwah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.